If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 4. We're going to finish out chapter 4 and get into a part of chapter 5. But I entitled the message this morning, A Little Leaven. Now, the title actually comes from another passage of Scripture that was written by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he was actually having to deal with sin in the church. He was having to deal with a particular sin in the church that was being glorified, was being exalted within the church. It would remind you of things that are going on today. The world wants us to accept sin. The world wants the church to be okay with sin. The world wants the church to act like the world. And when the church becomes like the world and is unwilling to deal with sin, we might as well not call ourselves a church and just simply call ourselves a social club. Because the scripture makes it very clear that sin is not something that should be tampered with. It should not be something that we look at lightly. In fact, Paul says these words when he was dealing with the sin in that church in 1 Corinthians 5. And he says this in verse 6. Your glorying is not good. In other words, you shouldn't be excited or happy that these people are getting by with sin. The church was okay with it. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul's talking about there is he uses an analogy of the Passover. After Passover happened, they went through a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They had a week that for a week they could not have leaven in their bread. It was a reminder of how God had taken them out of Egypt so quickly that they didn't have time for it to permeate their bread. Well, he uses the analogy of leaven as an analogy of sin. God wants us to give all of our sin over to him. In other words, when you get saved, you don't say, well, God, I'm 99% yours, but there's this one sin I'd like to hold on to. There's just this one sin in my life that I can't get past, I can't get rid of, so I hope that you're okay as long as I keep committing this sin. It's the only one I want, it's the only one I need, but you can have the rest of me. God would say, then I don't have any of you. If I don't have all of you, I don't have any of you. You don't give God 99%. You don't hold on to that 1%. You don't hold on to that sin. When we surrender, it's like the song says, I surrender all. Now, it's not to say that as Christians we become perfect. We still have to deal with sin daily. But it is our job to be looking at our lives daily to make certain we get rid of the sin in our own lives. So he says, don't allow the leaven into the church. Why? Because you know what? Moldy bread, if you just accept a little bit of it, it will take over the whole loaf. Have you ever noticed that? If you see a piece of bread and it starts to get a little green and blue tint to it and you say, that's okay, I'm just making penicillin, right? No, you don't usually do that. You usually say, well, if I want to be able to eat the bread, I better tear off the part that has the mold on it. Because if I don't tear off the part that has the mold on it, what's going to happen? The next day it will be bigger. It's funny, my wife and I sometimes, we've we've gone through the cabinet. uh, And one time we went through the cabinet. And all of a sudden, she pulls out this bag of hamburger buns. You know, we'd eaten half of them. And the other one we stuffed in there. Somehow it got, it kept getting pushed to the back and the back and the back and the back. It was green, blue, and fuzzy. The whole thing. The whole thing. 
And that's what happens in the church. If we permeate and we allow sin, even in its slightest form, that we become okay with sin and we allow it to continue to permeate within the church, guess what? It'll transform the whole church. And Paul said, you don't need to allow a little leaven. You need to get rid of all of it. Satan learned a long time ago that the way to defeat a church is not from persecution outside, but from corruption on the inside. If we are okay with corruption, we better be careful. I remember uh, learning about M80s, and I don't know if you guys know about those kind of firecrackers, but if you light one on your hand, now hopefully nobody will do this, but if you light one on your hand, but you leave your hand open, it will scar the hand, it will burn it, and it will hurt it pretty bad. But that same firecracker, if you light it and you close your fist on it, it will blow your hand off. It can do more damage from the inside than the outside. Paul understood it. He recognized it. And Paul was not the only one. Peter recognized it as well. So this morning, we're going to look at two scenes as the apostles dealt with the first sin in the church. They dealt with the first sin in the church. Let's look first at the purity of the church. Look at me in chapter 4 of Acts, beginning in verse 32. We're going to read through verse 37. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And Joseph, and who is also named Barnabas by the apostle, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want you to know that there are four key things when it's talking about the purity of the church. These are four things that we need in the church today. First, the church was a church of unity. If you look in verse 2, it says they were of one heart, and one soul. Now, I love that because some translations will say they are of one heart and one mind, but the actual translation there is one soul. It goes deeper than the mind. It goes into the fact that we are one united in Christ. Now, this is something that Jesus himself even prayed for us in John chapter 17, and it was being fulfilled in the early church. In John 17 and verse 20, he says this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they, you may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you loved me. What a powerful statement. Jesus prayed for you and for me. If you're a part of the church, if you are a Christian, Jesus prayed for you right there in John 17. He said that we might be one. The whole purpose, the whole desire was that we would be one. If they see that we are one, he says that the world will know that Jesus has been sent. Can I tell you why the world stays away from church today? It's because we as Christians aren't unified anymore. 
We don't seem to be together anymore. There's more infighting than there is outside the church, and it causes a great problem. The Bible says that we ought to be one, one in spirit, one in mind, one in soul. We have one goal. His name is Jesus Christ. We have one desire, and that's to glorify and lift up his name. We have one message. It's that Jesus died for the world. We need to be together, and we need to be one. That was what gave such power to the early church. They loved one another enough that they wanted to be together. I'm going to tell you, as church, I think it's important that we meet as often as we can. I do. We still, as a church, have Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Now, you say, well, Brother John, I know there's a lot of churches out there that just have Sunday morning service. That's because they don't like each other. We ought to want to be together more, the Bible says. In fact, as the day approaches, Hebrews 10 tells us, as the day approaches... We should want to gather together more. We should want to fellowship more. We should love each other more. We should proclaim the gospel together more. We ought to be one. And that's what the scripture teaches. They were one. They were of one heart and one soul. There was greatness in this church. We need to get back to this. I'm here to tell you, we need to get back to this. Secondly, the church was not only a church of unity. It was a church of power. Listen to this in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The church was powerful. I believe the church was powerful for two reasons. I believe, one, the church was powerful because it was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, just a few verses back, remember we read this last week, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had received the power that had been promised in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, not only once, but they received it again in a filling of the Spirit as the Spirit worked in and through that church. A church is powerful when it is filled with the Holy Spirit. I tell you, we as Christians a lot of times lose the power. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. The reason why a lot of Christians today don't bear fruit is they are not attached to Jesus Christ. They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, there are a lot of fruitless people in the church today. And I'm here to tell you, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Scripture says there was power in the church. They had the power because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But not only that, they had power because they preached the gospel. He said, in great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Any church that does not proclaim the gospel is not a church. It is not a place with power. It does not have Jesus backing them. It's just a social club that meets on Sundays. If you're afraid to talk about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and how the blood changes and saves you, you better be careful claiming to be a Christian. The Bible makes it clear that the power of the gospel is in the message of the gospel. It is in Jesus Christ and him alone. We need to have the power back in the church today, and it comes when God's people proclaim God's son throughout the community so that people might be saved we've got to get the power back I'm going to tell you I've been lit up with power before how about you now I was working on my mother and father-in-law's sockets they wanted to change them all out and change the color and I remember I got to working on it, and I had done this before for an electrician. And I got in there, and after about six of them, I got going real quick. You know what happens when you get going quick? 
you get a little loose. And I didn't hold on to the rubber handle. I kind of got a little bit lower on the screwdriver, you know, the metal part, as I touched the metal because I didn't have time to go turn off the breaker. And I, my wife heard me scream in the bedroom. Woo! I hit the power. And I'm going to tell you something. When the power hits you, the world will know it. We need the power back in the church of God. It comes with a filling of the Holy Spirit and a sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I like this next one. The church was not only a church of unity. They were a church of power. They were also a church of grace. Look at the end of verse 33. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. You understand you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. It does not come by you. It comes by the grace of God. That means every lost person in the world can be saved because God's grace is greater than all our sins. The Bible makes it clear. Here's the thing. The church needs to be a regenerative church. There needs to be a saved church. If you are not a Christian, you shouldn't belong to a church. They should not lower their standards to accept you in the church. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, if you don't believe that he died on the cross for your sins, if you haven't surrendered your all to him, you don't belong to the church. You can come to church, but you shouldn't be a member of the church. There is a standard for the church. You must believe in Jesus Christ and him alone. The church knew that. They didn't accept willy-nilly decisions. They didn't accept people off the cuff. They wanted to see there was a transformation in their life. We got to get back to being a regenerative church and not just accept people because they want to be a part of the church. You need Jesus, and that's what will make you a member of the church. If you, here's the thing. You can be a member of a local church and still not be a member of the universal church. You can go to heaven and have a certificate from Hillcrest Baptist Church that you're a member of Hillcrest Baptist Church, and Jesus is going to say, well, you're not a part of my church. You can be a church, a part of the local church, and still not be a part of the universal church. It was a regenerated church that was based on, get this, something simple, grace grace. Jesus told a parable about this, and he talked about a man having a party for his children, a wedding party. And he invited all these guests in, and they refused to come. And so he told them, he said, go out into the highways and the hedges, and I want you to compel them to come in. Compel others. Don't, don't go to the ones we've already invited. Go compel everyone. He said, I've already done that. He said, well, I want to make sure that my house is full. So all these people come in for the wedding. They come in for the celebration but there's one guy there without a wedding garment. Now, it's interesting. You might say to yourself, well, if it was a last-minute thing and they invited him into the wedding, they may have not had time to get changed and get that. No, 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 no. The guy who was hosting the party was giving out the wedding garments. This man refused to wear the wedding garment into the wedding. He wanted to go it on his own way. The whole point behind that is simply this. You can try to get into heaven on your own, but if you don't have the righteousness of Christ robed on you, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he will look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't have it any other way. We see the church was a church of unity. We see the church was a church of power. The church was a church of grace. And lastly, it was a church of caring. It says at the end of verse 32, it says, Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked 
For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, I need to really dig in deep to this scripture because there is a really bad philosophy that comes out of this often. People say, oh, there it is. We ought to be socialist. That is not socialism. That's not even close to socialism. He is not making them sell the things people sold as others had need. It wasn't a matter of the disciples said, you can't own anything. You think about that. If that was God's direction, then why was Job so richly blessed? Why were there others like Abraham so richly blessed? The point behind having the possessions was to help those in need. John talked about this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, he makes a statement along these lines. He says, but whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? There was a caring church. Oh, a brother had need. We at the church can meet that need, and we meet the need. That's how it was. They would sell their lands. They would sell their possessions. They would sell things to help these guys out. Well, there was one prime example. His name was Barnabas, who was a Levite of the country. And verse 37 said, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In other words, Barnabas was an example because of the story we're getting ready to read. Barnabas was a godly man who went and sold his land, and he gave all the money to the church to help those in a time of need. That's amazing. That doesn't mean that Barnabas sold everything he had. He sold a piece of land, and he gave all of the proceeds to the church. He did this so that those that were in need could be given the help they need. Now, look at where he gave it to. He gave it to the church so the church could distribute it. You realize that's what the church used to do. And now we turn it over to everybody else. The church used to be the place that people went to when they had a need. And we got to a point where we were so afraid of meeting needs that we were meeting people that were using us. And that does happen. But here's the thing. If you follow the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God was within you, you can know when it's a true need or when it is not. But the early church had that in their repertoire. They helped those in need. They were a church of unity. They were a church of power, a church of grace, and a church of caring. That was the purity of the church. Now next, let's look at the deception in the church. Look at me in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control, own control? You, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of times people will read that story and they think to themselves, wow, that seems a bit harsh. But you need to understand that the church in its purest form had not had sin within the doors at this time. In its purest form, they hadn't had to deal with sin at this time. Now you may look at it and you say, well, how did he sin? Is it because he didn't give all of the proceeds? Well, let's look at it, verse 1 and 2. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession... And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
You might say, well, didn't they have the right to keep a portion of it? Didn't they have a right to give what they wanted to give? Didn't they? And the answer is absolutely. They had every right to do that. But if you follow it on the tales of Barnabas' story, what these two decided to do was to take a portion of it, give it to the church, and say that's all they got for it. They wanted to look like Barnabas. They wanted to seem very pious. They wanted the church to lift them up like they did Barnabas. I can tell you there was a lady at our church in Alabama, before I ever got there, I'd heard this story, that if she gave money to the church, she expected her name to be in the bulletin with the amount of money she gave. My Bible tells me in Matthew chapter 6, 3 and 4, don't know the, let the left hand know what the right hand is given. It's not about getting praise from men. It's not about being exalted by men. It's not about that. It's about giving with a faithful heart. Unfortunately, Ananias and Sapphira weren't giving with a faithful heart. In fact, in verse 4, Peter says this, While it remained, was it not your own? You could do with it what you wanted. Why would you come in here and lie? You want to know why? Because people believe they can lie to leadership in the church, and it does not offend the face of God. But that's not what Peter said. Because in verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You say, well, wait a minute. What do you mean? He, they, they, he lied to Peter. He lied to the apostles. Well, Peter says that they lied to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they were men of God filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they lied to the apostles, when they lied to the leaders of the church, they had lied to God because God had filled those men. He said, you've lied. He says, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart to lie? Can I tell you, God understands that Satan, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Even right now, as this service is going on, he wants to, he wants to prick your heart, he wants to tear you apart, and he wants you to get up and leave. He wants you to not listen. He wants you to be bored. He wants you to turn away from the scriptures. He wants you to get up and walk out. I'm here to tell you, Satan wants to ruin the service of God. You know, when I grew up in church and my parents took me to church, you know what they made me do? They made me use the bathroom before service got started so I didn't get up while service was going on. You know what my parents also did? If I thought about getting up while the invitation was going on and not going to the altar, I got a spanking. Let me tell you, we have a lot of people that will ruin what God is trying to do because they're trying to get out of church before everybody else. We need to stop. We don't need to allow the Holy Spirit to be quenched because you want to get to the buffet before everybody else. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is at work. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They wanted to do it their way. They wanted to seem pious and look righteous before everybody else. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart? I'm here to tell you, Satan will ask you to do things all the time in the church that can disrupt and cause problems in the church. When Satan starts to attack, you simply need to cry out, get behind me, Satan. In the name of Jesus Christ. Because you don't have the power to do it. It's in his name. You need to tell him. Don't listen to him. Don't allow him to use you. Don't allow him to get in. And they kept back part of the price of the land. But he said, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Why is it we think it's okay to lie to men? Why is it we think it's okay to lie, period? My Bible tells me there are no liars in heaven. 
Now, it's always interesting to me because we have categories of sin that we put on things, don't we? You know, we got murder up here, homosexualities up here, and adultery, things like that. But lying, you know, it's in, a, it's in a lower category of sin. You realize Scripture teaches us that sin is sin? And there's really only two categories to sin. There's what they call occasional sin where it slips and you just happen to do it and you realize it, you immediately repent. And then there's a thing called habitual sin where you live in that sin. And my Bible tells me that if you live in such sin, Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 to 21, he says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The problem is, is we've gotten into an attitude and a lifestyle of lying and it's not good. God's not going to put up with it. We say, well, we didn't lie to God. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. But look at what happens in verse 5. This is what gets a lot of people. It says, then Ananias, hearing those words, fell down and breathed his last. Could you imagine if God dealt with sin like that today? Would none of us be in here? Some would say, well, why did God deal with sin in such a way? Why did God do it like that? Why did God strike him down like that? I'm here to tell you, there's a couple of times it happens in Scripture. You go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 10. There were two brothers that were a part of the priesthood called Nadab and Abihu. They went in and they offered profane fire to God, and God struck them down right there. There's a man in the book of 2 Samuel by the name of Uzzah who when they were transporting the ark of God, it stumbled and he was afraid for it to spill out and spill over. He reached over and he put his hand on it, touching the holiness of God, and God struck him down. God doesn't mess around with sin. The problem is, is too many of us take grace for granted. Too many of us think it's just okay to keep on sinning. I'll just apologize. Or I've even heard Christians make this statement. I won't ask God for permission. I'll ask him for forgiveness. In other words, I'm going to do it when I want to do it, and then I'll just ask God to forgive me. You better read the scriptures about intentional sin. The Bible makes it clear we should not play around, mess around when it comes to sin. In the early church, it was a pure church, and God wanted to keep it pure, and he struck him down. And look at what happened. It says, so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I'm going to tell you what, if God would just strike one person down that sins in the church, two things will happen. You ready? The first thing that could happen is everybody else will start taking sin serious and they won't keep making excuses for it. Because they'll say, man, if God will take that life, then I better be careful. Or secondly, you'll go find another church where it doesn't happen. God takes sin serious, and it's time for us as the church to do the same. Can you imagine? These people are bringing money up. This is like if you're standing up there. Now, I went to a church one time, and it was interesting. I'd never seen anything like it, but I went to a church one time, and they stood up front, and they had the offering plate, and they played a song called Bringing in the Sheaves. You know that hymn, right? And every row got up and walked to the front to put their money in the offering plate. Every person was supposed to get up out of their pew, walk to the front, and put their money in the offering plate. Now, you could imagine if this is going on and somebody comes up and goes, Brother John, I, just, I got a $10,000 check in here. I just sold some land for the Lord, and I wanted to give it all to the Lord, knowing that they got $10,000 back at home. Lying right there in the middle of a service. Lying light, right there in the midst of the Holy Spirit. Claiming something that they did not do, and thinking that God is going to bless them. Can I tell you something? You might fool me, but you won't fool him. 
You cannot fool God. God knows your heart. He knows the true intentions of why you give, why you serve, and what you do. He knows the true intentions of why you speak the way you speak, why you talk to the people the way you talk to them. He knows your heart. You can't fool God. And Peter, can you imagine? Confrontation right there. Can I tell you, I've done church discipline before. And it's not a favorite topic of people in the church. But church discipline was needed. There was a sin that was open. I had seen it myself, and I confronted them. And can I tell you, unfortunately, this is what typically happens when a pastor or somebody in the church approaches people about sin. They go somewhere else. Very rarely have I had somebody say, you know what, you're right, I was wrong, I'm going I'm to seek God's face. I have had that happen a few times. But church discipline is something that is essential and needed in the church today. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But you see what happens to Ananias is he dies right there. It says, and the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. But let's look at what happens to his wife, Sapphira. Verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes. For so much. Now, I find this interesting the way she responds. I mean, he is giving her a chance. It's like, how many times have your parents ever asked you a question and you know they already know the answer? She has to know the way Peter's asking this question. He already knows the answer. But you know what a lot of women would say? Well, my husband told me to say this. If your husband ever asks you to lie, tell him no. Your husband is called to lead you, but never to lead you in sin. And you have the authority, hear me clearly, you have the authority when your husband leads you in the wrong direction to tell him he's leading in the wrong direction. As long as it goes with Scripture. You stick to the word. She could have spessed up and said, you know what? No, we didn't. And she would have saved her life. But she was steeped into the lie with her husband, and she stuck with it. Because verse 9, then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. What a statement. Peter said, you see those guys coming? They just buried your husband. They're coming to get you now. That's power. He knew what God was going to do. When she lied to the Holy Spirit, he knew God was going to take care of her just like he did her husband. And look at what happens. It says, and the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. God has every right to judge us as Christians. First Peter tells us that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. It ought to begin right here. In fact, to be honest with you, when we stand in church, we ought to make sure that our hearts are right with God before we ever come into the building. Now, that's not to say that if you've got sin in your life, you don't come to church. Come to church, just get right. 
Don't leave the same way. We want to be pure. We want God to speak to our hearts. We want God to change us because we need to change. Peter faced these two people. And I promise you it wasn't that he desired for them to die, but they chose sin over the Savior. They chose to continue on and complete the lie all the way through. How sad that God had to do it. I'll tell you, this week I received a, a great question. A question that somebody, I've, I've only been asked this two times now, but it is a phenomenal question that I feel like should, in my 22 years, have been asked many more times. And the question went like this. What is the purpose of church membership? Now you say, well, to belong to Jesus. Well, that's the universal church. What they were talking about is why should I join a local body of believers? That's a fantastic question. The reason being commitment. Commitment. You say, well, what do you mean commitment? Well, I want to use it three ways. Number one, commitment. You commit to authority. When you join a church, you are wanting to place yourself under that church's authority. You fall under their leadership. Now, let me I'll explain it like this. How many of you would be willing to date the rest of your life and never get married? Then why date the church if you're not willing to get married to it? We want commitment. Wives, you said when you saw that husband, when you saw your man get on his knee and pop that ring, what you basically said was, is I'm willing to follow his leadership. I'm willing to place myself under his authority because I believe in his leadership. That's what church membership is important for the authority. You believe in the leadership of the church and you say, I want that authority. I want their teaching. I want their training and I want them to lead me. Second reason when it comes to commitment is for discipline. What we talked about this morning you may say, well, I don't like discipline. Well, neither do I. But I will also ask you this question. If your kid gets out of line, what do you do? If they're in the Walmart line and they're screaming and pitching a fit because they want a candy bar that's right there and you're telling them they can't have it and they're screaming and pitching a fit and you just stand there and you go, well, I'll just give it to you. Mm -mm. If they're being disobedient, don't give in. God won't give in. We are supposed to, we're called to discipline. We are called to discipline them. In truth, here's, here's the thing. There have been many a kid in Walmart I'd like to discipline. But I only have authority to discipline too. We go to the church for discipline. The scripture tells us, and here's how discipline needs to be enacted. If you read Matthew Chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If you see somebody in sin, you go to them. There's really no need for an explanation there. If you see somebody in sin, you go to them. You try to keep discipline within the smallest circle possible. I had a youth pastor one time that came to me, and he said, Brother John, I saw this, this man from our church. He was leaving the apartment of another woman. I need you to go talk to him. And I said, Jeff, did you see the sin? He said, yes. I said, then you go and talk to him. I said, did he see you when he walked out? Yes. You go talk to him. It was wrong of you to come tell me. If you've gone to him and he refuses to repent, 
then I'll go with you. But you go to him on your own. You coming to me is gossip. Church discipline is key in the church today. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want to be a part of a church that does that. Well, then you need to go find another church. Because a church that does not discipline is really no church at all. Discipline is for your good. It's for your good. And you may say, well, I don't like it. Well, the truth is, is discipline, when a person from the church comes to you, it's a whole lot better than if God gets a hold to you. God has given you a chance to get right before he gets a hold to you. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be right. But when you go to that person, you need to go with a spirit of restoration. It has to come from a spirit of restoration. Because explain this to me. How would you want it done to you? Would you want somebody coming and just lamb blasting you about your sin? Or do you want somebody coming to restore you from your sin? That's what Jesus calls us to do. But the last one is our commitment to our gifts, to use our gifts in the church. You can use gifts, but you got to be a member of the church to be able to use all your gifts and serve in this church. I think church membership is important. I think it's vital. And the truth is, is we ought to want to keep the church pure and holy. I would expect if I was in sin and you saw me sin, you come to me. Because you know what? I'm not perfect. And neither are you. But I would expect it in my part. You see, church discipline goes all the way around. It is important. But when we look at this, we want to see from Scripture, God doesn't mess around with sin. And as a church, we cannot become like the world and be accepting of it. We have to be loving, caring, and kind enough to confront and do it scripturally. My prayer today is that you know how important the church is, but you also understand that if there's any leaven in your life, go ahead and cut it out. Go ahead and get rid of it. Don't allow some sin in your life to keep you from being all in for Jesus.